Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and you already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Babo, you know that you can get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Sony and Marvel regarding Spider-Man, and then on top of that, another deal that can't be done right now. Netflix figuring out a way to give a nationwide release to Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. We've got a whole bunch of very interesting deals to break down right now and see what's best for all of these companies involved. And I get to talk about it all with John Roca and Jeff Snyder. Hi. Why Hello. wasn't I invited to Chipotle, huh? Give me back my Spider-Man. I don't know. We, we went around. You the can community. come anytime yeah. you want, yeah. believe me. Honestly, we don't get, I probably wouldn't have gone. We don't get <laughs> special orders from delivery companies. We have to go get our own food. I've never even had it food might, delivered. It might be because I never pick my head up from the computer the entire day to take a break and walk out the That's door. That's an absolutely fair point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you guys enjoyed lunch. Because right now, we got a lot of news to talk about. First story, recapping a little bit from yesterday. So... Yesterday on our extra-long edition of Movie Talk, we covered the Deadline report claiming that Kevin Feige will no longer serve as producer on future Spider-Man movies, noting a dispute between Disney and Sony over the co-distribution rights. According to their report, the decision came down to money, with Sony turning down an offer by Disney of a 50-50 co-financing deal on future Spider-Man projects. Now, the update that we got today is that Sony Pictures actually took to Twitter to release a statement on the issue. Here's what they wrote. Much of today's news about Spider-Man has mischaracterized recent discussions about Kevin Feige's involvement in the franchise. We are disappointed but respect Disney's decision not to have him continue as lead producer of our next live-action Spider-Man film. We hope this might change in the future, but understand that the many new responsibilities that Disney has given him, including all their newly added Marvel properties, do not allow time for him to work on IP they do not own. Kevin is terrific, and we are grateful for his help and guidance and, appe- and appreciate the path he has helped put us on, which we will continue. All right. We got the tweets right there. Yeah. What is your interpretation of this statement from Sony? Uh, 
That's the greatest, uh, sweetest uh, firing letter I've ever received in my life. I, it's what I, just basically covering their own butts. It's an interesting spin for sure. Kevin Feige, I don't think we'd be like, you know what? That's just too many Marvel characters. I just can't handle it. After 10 years of handling so many Marvel characters, and some Marvel characters, guess what? Have been moved off, right? So there's space in Feige's uh, abilities to uh, bring in these and help keep shepherding Spider-Man to where he's going. So this is basically a safe face statement by Sony, in my opinion. And uh, but what's interesting is what they said. We hope this might change in the future. That's that should let people know this is not a done deal yet, which many people on the Twitter sphere were going crazy about yesterday. It is going. These are two massive studios posturing over a very important piece of property and franchise. And don't discount the fact that Sony is a little hurt that the film that is now their highest grossing film is a film that everyone relates to Marvel, not to Sony. Hurt. I mean, I don't know. I, it's embarrassing. I disagree with that. I give this uh, statement an A. I thought Sony's corporate communications team did a really good job yesterday. I, I mean, they're not losing anything. What do they need to save face for? I mean, Marvel's the one that lost Spider-Man, right? Right. Sony but, lost but Kevin Feige, the, but nobody's paying money to see Kevin Feige. But look at the upset on Twitter about it. everyone was like boycott Sony. That's the hashtag. It wasn't boycott who, who, Marvel. I mean, well, people on Twitter. Guess what? Newsflash. Are morons. Well, they uh, tweeted on Twitter, so considering they obviously don't think they're morons, well, that do is, they? That is something that is worth <laughs> talking about right now because we did speak to this a little yesterday. Yesterday, where arrangements like this have probably happened to like some degree in the past, but sure. stuff like this usually doesn't get out to the public. So when you bring up something like this. Yes, on Twitter, if we isolate it to just that, Disney did look like the hero. Could any of this have been leaked deliberately in order to push the deal along in a certain way for either entity? We must be following different people, because when I went on social media, my social media yesterday, and I follow people who are actually in the industry, they're totally on Sony. Disney is the clear bad guy here, getting way too greedy and big for its britches. Sure, Sony... Okay. <laughs> you, Roka, you're crazy if you think that Sony Pictures should co-fi I just on took, these. Oh, yeah. I just took your property, and I got a billion dollars out of your property, and I only took 5%. So I'm going to ask for a little bit more because I did better with it. More. And, and I resuscitated your dead property. So you owe me some money. Well, and, five, and, that, and I agree with you. 5% to 50% is not a little yeah, that's bit more. a huge that jump, is, dude. That that's is fair. an absolutely absurd deal to have right. made. But when I'm talking, I, I am probably more strictly talking about like fans on Twitter, less so industry people. Right. And, and I can kind of understand. I would never say, yes, go boycott either studio but, over this issue. But I do understand when Spider-Man has been brought back to the big screen in such a successful way. And then all of a sudden, the possibility of losing that comes up. Yeah. I can understand feeling sensitive do, about it. You know what I saw yesterday on social media? That fans were calling for Disney to just buy Sony. And, and that way they can reunite Spider-Man with the rest of the X-Men and the Fantastic oh, Four. No. Like, think about all the thousands of jobs that would, that would lose. Well, who cares? Well, that's it's just... just there's going to be the fringe element. Of course, there's going to be the fringe element. But you're, you're highlighting that to push your narrative about the situation. But there were a lot of people who were upset about it. And I hate to break it to you, but the industry people that you follow aren't pushing that thing over a billion. It's the fans. And so if the fans are upset and you're trying to save face, Sony going to Twitter, not releasing a statement to Twitter tells you something about they how they released a statement to the trades that yeah, they put on Twitter. And then I don't know. Seconds later on Twitter. About, okay, so what? That's what everybody does. Like... Right. 
<laughs> well, you can't call them morons and then play in their sandbox. Don't, don't, don't make, make it sense. sound like, like like Sony responded uh, to, to Twitter fans. Like that's why would you tw- put something on Twitter if it isn't to respond to Twitter fans? It's not strictly to Twitter fans. It's the general Sean. reaction to it overall. This, this it's a huge issue that they had Wall to make Street. a comment about. And I feel like shit. what they did is basically the only option for them without prodding the situation even more. I mean, they already it's it's true. Everything was mischaracterized to a degree yesterday. And granted, it was all unfolding right around this time yesterday. And we were working with whatever information we had. But like you said earlier, this was not a done deal. It still isn't a done deal. And who knows how it's going to evolve over the next couple of hours, days, weeks, you name it. And actually, even if it winds up being a done deal and let's say they do officially get divorced, who knows? Maybe then the next Spider-Man film won't mm. do well and it'll come back together. We don't know what's going to happen. There's something you said earlier, and, and uh, you know we're all having fun being passionate about this, but you, something you said earlier about Sony uh, and Disney. Did Disney leak this or release? I think Disney absolutely. Look, no one plays harder than the mouse. And so uh, them releasing this thing in a certain way, look at the reaction they got from a majority of the fans on social media. That was on purpose. What? They don't want to be seen as the bad guy here. And so they release it this way to make it look like Sony's the bad guy to give them more, uh, what do you call it? More cachet in negotiations, more it, leverage. It's just like the big brother who hits the little brother, yeah, right? Kinda. And then the little brother hits him back. And the big brother's like, he, he just hit me. Because it's like <laughs> Sony... Disney is the bully here, and Sony called them out on it. They used the B word. They s- How is Disney the bully? Disney's asking. Are you crazy? Disney's oh. asking for more of a cut because Wait. they did better with because, your work because than you did. Because they're walking away because if, if they don't get their 50, 50 split. Well, they, wait, 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 they're wait, negotiating you, in the You're press. grabbing go, points go and ignoring the Go to the breakdown the that you were telling us earlier as, as far as profits go because I think that well, puts into perspective well, how I, crazy the 50-50 split well, would okay, be for I them. I get it, but the, also, the statement, also the other reports did, said they asked for 50, but when Sony came back with a different number, they couldn't find a, a a middle ground to find. So, so Disney is not saying fifty or nothing. Mm-hmm. Disney is saying fifty is where we'd like to be, and you know how negotiations work. You start at the highest, I do so that you can move back. The Hollywood Reporter piece THR today said thirty. Said yeah, thirty. 30. Yeah. thirty is more than reasonable. If I bring your thing back to life, that thirty is more than reasonable. I don't. I don't think it will be as high as thirty. I think that it will be twenty or twenty-five. I think that. I, first of all, I think that they are going to work this out. Yeah, I think I they're negotiating in the press. Yes, I think that they will come up to twenty or twenty-five. So it'll be an eighty-twenty split or seventy-five twenty-five split, and you will see Disney Plus get the streaming rights to those Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. So those Spider-Man movies will go to Disney Plus oh, after theatrical. That's fair. Okay, so I, I think that'll be a little bit uh, of a sweetener because Sony is not really, in, like they have Crackle, but they're not really in the streaming wars the way any of the other studios are. Right. Um, I, I, again, what I, what I was saying before the show and, and trying to uh, take these guys on a tour of, like, if, if I was Disney... Yes. I, I would put in a tour. straight yeah, offer, not to buy Sony Pictures, but to buy Spider-Man, and I would be willing to spend upwards of a billion, possibly even two billion dollars, to acquire Spider-Man the same way they spent four billion to acquire Marvel or four or five billion to acquire Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. You have to treat Spider-Man like that. So and you want to sell that, Spider-Man? That those billions of dollars, that infusion to Sony, that would be worth it because they're only going to get th- that two billion dollars by making ten 
or seven Spider-Man movies that each profit 100 or 150 million dollars, etc. It it makes a lot of sense and it makes sense from a creative perspective too because like you guys know me well enough at this point when we see big studios play nice together, I'm like, yeah, everyone be friends and just make good movies. The scary scenario with an arrangement like this is what it can do for the creativity that you've pumped into a franchise for mm. however many years. Look at what Marvel has done under Kevin Feige's leadership with Spider-Man the character. Imagine not just what it would do if let's say Spider-Man went over to Sony and they had to make their own movies with him, but then also Marvel. If all of a sudden they couldn't use Spider-Man, it's, Coy said this yesterday, I saw it in another piece today, mm-hmm. it is a lose-lose that isn't going right, to work absolutely. for anyone. I think so too. This is yeah. a lose-lose for everybody. What I wanted to address was your, your first point about Kevin Feige. I, how can you blame Disney for not wanting to just loan this guy out to make Sony money? Like, he is too busy. You don't think he's too busy? You think he... No. You, you were saying he can. he's handled multiple movies yes. before. Why can't he keep ha- handling multiple movies? I, I totally understand, like, what they're saying. But that's where... coming from Sony. Disney hasn't said that. Sony is characterizing that Feige might be too busy to do this. And I think that's their way of saving face. And I think that's incorrect. Because you are speaking for someone else's employee. And that is incorrect. Because Disney has not responded or made a comment about Kevin Feige's workload. And he has shepherded this thing to the latest $1 billion. So he know, he loves this character. He knows what he's doing with I this character. I agree with you that, that, that it, it was weird that Sony tried to make it about a producer's credit. And, and he doesn't even get a producer's fee. I don't think Disney or him get a producer's right. fee. Um, so I mean, they led with Feige it's before all about, they it's said It's all about Disney. money. Yeah, it's not about a credit. Right. Right. But what you said, did you just say that? Did you want to, you, you think Sony should sell Spider-Man? Is that what you were saying? I, I wouldn't. Uh, yes. I, I think that there are a, you know, a, a studio that is in trouble. They're, they're a sale target. And yeah, obviously Spider-Man is the crown jewel in that library. Yeah. But think about like. That's uh, why you can't sell it. You cannot sell it. Because how much do you lose in the valuation of your company by selling your crown jewel? You'll get even well, less. So you got to sell it for the right price. You got to sell it for the right price. Could be three billion. You, you also got to think. I'd say twenty. Think long term. Also, yeah, what? twenty billion dollars. <laughs> Whoa, twenty billion dollars. <laughs> no, no, no. You want it? Twenty you billion. You sound like oh. Simon Thompson on Meet the Movie Press when he said uh, Hitman's Bodyguard would gross six hundred million dollars worldwide. What? <laughs> okay. Uh, Simon. Um, you know, Simon can drink. I'm sometimes. caught in the middle on whether or not it's a good idea because. Because again, you know, Sony is one of those uh, those companies right now that we talk about being acquired by yeah, another yeah. one elsewhere. And, you know, after the success of something like Into the Spider-Verse, it, it pains me a little to say, yes, they should sell this brand elsewhere because then that closes the door on something great that they started with that. Mm. But I don't know. I just keep thinking back to Sony's track record with Spider-Man without Kevin Feige. And it's like. Imagine a scenario where this deal doesn't work out. They keep Spider-Man for themselves. Then the movies tank, and we wind up in a very similar position that we had with the end of the first Spider-Man run, and then also Amazing Spider-Man. It goes back to what I was saying before about a lose-lose. Mm-hmm. Then, then look, at, we're in a worse position than we were before. So if, let's say, they sell Spider-Man to Marvel. They could use that money for whatever else they want to develop over there. And then it also keeps the story of Spider-Man. It keeps it safe. It basically takes out that risk that I mentioned before about what if what if they figure this out now, but even a couple years down the line, the deal breaks down again, and we have another threat to put an abrupt halt on Tom Spider Tom Holland Spider-Man in a film franchise. Look, I, I totally respect where you come from. It's a very sweet point of view to have that they should care about this character and hope it gets done right. But this is about money, and the last thing Sony is going to do the is point sell this hand in hand. Well, so, but I'm saying to you, like you, oh, the the property 
probably will be taken care of. We know they'll be taken care of with Marvel. It'll be taken care of. But Sony didn't do shitty with this Spider-Man stuff. The first Spider-Man Sam Raimi did well. The second was considered one of the top five, top ten Spider-Man. A film comic. Also, Amazing Spider-Man 1 made $750 million worldwide. The second one was terrible, and the third one was bad in that Raimi run. But that doesn't discount the three successes they had. Marvel hasn't even had three successes with Spider-Man. You guys are talking about track records. Track records are irrelevant because... Companies don't make movies. People make movies. Right. Tom Rothman had nothing to do with the Sam Raimi movies. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he had anything to do with the, Sp- the amazing Spider-Man movies either. Right. Um, well, so- that, kind of, that kind of speaks to my point. I think that Spider-Man, as a film franchise, both from a creative standpoint and from a financial standpoint, has proven to be more successful under Kevin Feige's guidance. I think it is a safer bet over there than if it stayed at Sony without him. But that is also hypothetically assuming that the deal just doesn't happen at all. But I'm trying to understand your point about it being more financially successful under Feige. They've only done two movies. Sony's done better cumulative big, financially. It's a bigger risk, I think, for Sony. It's a big, whereas they could get the money right, right now. They right, could get right. the money that Jeff was referencing right now, put that in the bank and use it to develop whatever they want to develop in order to keep themselves afloat. That opportunity goes away if this deal falls apart. They keep Spider-Man for themselves. And let's say the next movie isn't as good. Yep. Then all of a sudden they're back to where they started you, and they have very little to show for you it make or a, less to show for you it. You make a great point. The thing is, at the end of the day, this is where track records come into play. If they sell it and get that money, what's Sony's track record of using that money effectively to get profit? I can't to speak to that either. Exactly. <laughs> I can't speak things. too positively recently, yeah. at least, to that but either. One last thing. I, well, you know, obviously, I know you're dictating the topics here, Barry, but one thing I want to bring up is um, – uh, how, what does Tom Holland do here? Uh, you know, Dorian was mentioning before we started the show uh, how we retweeted a 10-second picture, uh, a video of uh, an interview that Tom Holland did, and he said, "If I would love to be in a Venom movie, but I don't want it to cost me my ticket to the MCU universe. And he was, like, really earnest and honest about this. And this isn't like sports, where, like, Anthony Davis can force a trade even though he's under contract for two more years. Actors rarely get to force their way out of contracts and franchises. I wonder if Tom Holland has that ability at this point if they fully make this thing go through to Sony and say, you know what? I signed up to be an MCU Spider-Man. I don't want part of this. Sue me if you want. I'm not going to do it. Is that possible? No. He's going to show up and honor his contract. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to see him in at least one more movie, possibly two. Uh, I don't know if John Watts will be back to direct them. I don't um, want to see a depressed Tom Holland doing Spider-Man. I think that I Hollywood think would Reporter show up in article the said Watts is... is- Done as far as contractually obligated, yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, uh, I don't know. (laughs) The whole thing stresses me out, but I think what we should kind of hit on to wrap this up right Mm. now is what what do you think the outcome will be? I believe, Jeff, you already said that you do think that they are going to find a middle ground and commit to continue working together. It's a lose-lose for both sides to not find uh, a way to figure this out. I think they just need to extend their agreement. I agree with John. Disney probably does deserve more, uh, you know, for all of its contributions for getting Sony to, you know, this is the last one was its most successful film of all time. So you got to come up from 5%. 50% is crazy. I even think 30 is too high, but 20 should be doable, Sony. Make it happen. Yeah. I, I, I take or the Disney 30. Make it I'd push for 30 and then go from there. The 50 is a bit much. You, you both are right about that. 5 to 50 is a lot. Um, so let's go for 30. The thing I, I think also, this is dangerous. Now, you look at Universal. What are they going to do about Submariner? What are they going to do about Hulk? What is their, they, if they see Sony 
what they're doing with Marvel. I think Universal's watching this to see how they can work out their negotiations. And remember, Amy Pascal has moved on from Sony, who helped negotiate this deal for Spider-Man, to Universal. Is she going to do something? Is she going to see this and, like, all of a sudden make the Hulk and Namor kind of more available to fill that spot if this deal falls through? So many possibilities on the table. It's freaking me out a little. But we're going to continue covering it right here on Movie Talk as everything develops. All right, before we move on to topic number two, which is the, the theatrical release for The Irishman, We got some content up and running on the channel right now to let you know to go and check out. Actually, not on this channel, but over on our Collider interview channel, you can find a brand new episode of Collider Ladies Night. This was an extra special one because it was with Jillian Bell, who stars in Britney Runs a Marathon. I am running a marathon this year, my very first one because of that movie. So goes without saying, it was a huge treat to have her in the studio. And I really appreciated how kind and supportive she was about me being absolutely crazy and training for a marathon. (laughs) On top of that, on this very channel here, you could find a review that these two did. They reviewed Angel Has Fallen, so go give that a watch. I believe there's a Mindhunter spoiler review up as well. We also have a Ready or Not Ending Explain video up that uh, Haley and I did with the filmmaking team behind that movie, Radio Silence. They talk about the, just like the rich world they built in that movie. It's a fascinating conversation. Highly recommend that as well. All right, story number two. So, According to the New York Times, Netflix, AMC, and Cineplex aren't seeing eye-to-eye on the nationwide release right now for The Irishman. Netflix doesn't want to adhere to the standard 90-day restriction. The concern for theater chains, though, is that if they make an exception and shorten that window for Netflix, then other studios might demand the same. That could prove to be hugely problematic from a business perspective, especially with so many of these companies putting tons of resources that they have into streaming services of their own. Um, In addition to that, AMC is keen on releasing The Irishman, but not at the expense of those other relationships. Here's a statement from Chief Executive Adam Aaron, who said, We can only do so, however, on terms that respect AMC's important and close relationships with our longstanding studio partners, including Disney, Warner Brothers, Universal, Sony, Paramount, Lionsgate, and so many other filmmakers who are the lifeblood of our substantial business. What do you guys think the outcome is going to be on this disagreement right now? Do you think they're going to work something out and we're going to get The Irishman with a nationwide release? Yes, I do think that they'll work something out. I don't think that they have a choice. I think that Netflix uh, has to service Martin Scorsese, who is one of their most important relationships. Uh, He expects his movie to be made for theaters. He made it for theaters uh, or with the idea that, that this, this would be getting some kind of theatrical release. I think that Netflix will work it out. They gave uh, Roma had 21 days exclusively. Yes. Um, I think that the Irishman could be similar. Maybe it'll be an extra week, 28 to 30 days. So, okay, that, wait, that, you it. said Netflix will have to service Scorsese on this. So do you also think that means that Netflix is going to have to service the, uh, the theater chains for this? And come closer to the 90-day window? Because I was looking at this and thinking no. it's going to be a, like significantly higher no. than Roma. I think, I think it'd be even 45 days, half of that 90 window is too much, I think, for, for Netflix. A month and a half to wait. Um, I think three to four weeks is where they will ultimately land. I think that the theaters are just going to have to start dealing with it, with the idea that, uh, that the windows are collapsing. And, you're gonna, and Netflix isn't the only one 
you know, because everybody's launching streaming services, Warner mm-hmm. Media, etc. And every now and then they're going to be in business with a, an auteur, a big director like Scorsese, and that filmmaker is going to be like, well, can we get a theatrical release? That's why I think that the theater chains have to stand their ground right now. If they cave on this first nationwide release, because with Roma it was something different. It was it wasn't an extensive release. It mm. was a smaller release, and that's why I think they were okay with the twenty one window. Whereas this one, I mean, this we're not even just talking about you know ticking the box so that they could get a consideration for Oscars this fall. This could be a pretty profitable release come the fall season with Scorsese and the type of movie it is and all the people that he has put together right now. It just feels like if there is any opportunity left for theater chains to stand their ground and try to preserve that kind of uh, release structure, it's now. I, I have more to I, say, but I don't want to no, no, talk. I, I appreciate uh, Perry's point. I, I just think it's a losing battle. And I think this is uh, five years from now, we're going to look at this and laugh because it's done. It's done. This is yeah. the inevitability. It's over. Streaming services will absolutely supersede theaters. Theaters will start to shut down. This will start to happen. And maybe the mom and pop theaters will stay open that, you know, charge you eight bucks for a matinee or whatever, or $7, $5. Those will stay open. But the large theater chains, this is going to start becoming less and less because like Jeff's just said, more and more auteurs are going to see this model and be attracted to this model and, and do their movies with this model. And it's, theater chains, are go- they, seem like, they seem like the dad going like, uh, you, you can only play outside for half an hour. I just, Those times are done. I don't understand the 90-day window. How many people are going to see the movie on day 89? Why are, are days 40 well, through 90 important? We talk about this all the time for, for Monday weeks. with the box office report. Right. It's not just about day one opening weekend, whatever. It's about legs. Also, I mean, actually, thinking but, thinking of Sony right now, look at one of their most successful releases. Sure. Well, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You also have a movie like Jumanji, one of your favorites, yes. The Greatest Showman. Those yep. movies being exclusively in theaters for an True. extended period of time is what led to their monumental success. It wasn't their opening weekend. We're only talking about like one or two movies a year that really do have those kinds of legs. I feel like if, if you're not, most people see the movie opening weekend. That's right. what it's all about these days. Now I think it should be opening month and, and then move on to the next, uh, the next window. Right, because the other side of it, Perry, too, is like these streaming services have to dig in their heels, too, and go, no, we're not going to give in because we're losing clicks, we're losing views because you're allowing this to be put in theater so we're losing money why are we going to put 120 million dollars into a movie that we're not going to see the benefit or profit from because uh people are going out to see it in the theater so by the time it comes on the streaming services the numbers aren't that high the other thing real quickly is that uh, irishman is supposed to hit netflix in late november i believe and they could always shift that delay in a couple weeks which i think may have been what happened with roma but you know go forward so end of november if you need a month-long window the movie's got to hit theaters in mid-october which Mm -hmm. is when it's debuting at new york film fest Mm, right. So it would have to come out almost like around the exact same time as that debut. Yeah. I, um, I do think it's unreasonable for them to hit that window, but I think if you shorten it too much, it's going to wind up having a very destructive ripple effect where that will put the nail in the coffin yeah. for the theatrical experience. And, you know, I know most movies don't have runs quite like Jumanji and Greatest Showman, but part of the point is also, like, let's say Avengers Endgame comes out and everyone goes to rush to see the movie. They didn't buy their tickets in advance, but they show up at the theater, it's sold out, then they are inclined to see something else that's still lingering on, and that basically closes the door for those movies to make money at that point as well. Do you think that 
window collapsing really puts the nail in the coffin of theatrical? Because I don't. I think theatrical is never going away. I think theatrical is is never going away, but I think it is going to be a completely different landscape yeah. where they just can't compete. Like I do, I do truly fear a future where we only get the End Games and the Lion Kings on the big screen, and everything else is pretty much relegated to you know either a smaller theater chain like Alamo Drafthouse or streaming services, which I'm glad there's companies like Alamo still out there promoting those kinds of movies. But I mean, this sounds silly and childish, but it's not fair. It pisses me off that mid-range and low-budget movies can't be on the multiplex screens along with all the Disney fare. Forget, mm-hmm. forget multiplex. I mean, how many, how many shows do we have here at Collider that are dedicated to talking about those smaller films? You know, that's sort of, it all goes hand in hand. I have... I've fought for the opposite for, for many, many years now. Yeah, but then, <laughs> as much as, hey, and I'm not knocking, let's say, the Star Wars and the Endgames well, and really, everything. I thoroughly it. enjoy mm-hmm. all those properties, and I am thrilled when I enjoy one of those movies, and they make a crazy amount at the box office, especially right. when they deserve it, like, let's say, an Avengers Endgame. Right. It's just, I don't want that at the expense of everything else. But you got to look at the numbers. Everything comes down to the numbers, including the show, the show you're just talking about now. What are the numbers? What would be the numbers? Right. Is it viable to do this show? Is it viable to put that movie in the theater when only six people are in the theater for a show at questions. one o'clock in the afternoon? And that's that's the thing. And I appreciate you fearing that, but that is our future. This is technology. This is progress. There'll be less theaters. It won't go away. I agree with both of you. I don't think it's going away. There'll just be less. And I don't know if it'll go to the extreme where only the epic films come out. Uh, that's certainly the, the the extreme possibility. But I think it's. Uh, eventually ending up that uh, ending there. And because the, uh, if you look at the numbers statistically, the number of theaters, I think, has been dropping for quite some time over the last 10 years. The attendance is still uh, at a decent level, but I think the number of theaters has been dropping more and more over the last 10 years. Well, now that we ended it on a bummer of a note, <laughs> i got to turn it around with two live chat questions. Let's get this one from Casey Supersonic One first. In honor of Angel Has Fallen, what are your favorite guilty pleasure sequels? I'm a fan of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. That oh. one's for Perry. Hmm. Good choice. Guilty pleasure sequels. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, you know, the movie that gets unfairly maligned is Alien 3. I like Alien 3. That's a good movie. It I'm is okay a guilty that. pleasure sequel. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a, a perfectly good directorial debut from Fincher. And just, you know, compared to his other work, it kind of gets uh, the short end of the stick. But I, I, I like it. Yeah. Uh, Transformers 3, 4. Of course, of course. <laughs> I should have predicted that was going to be your answer. Uh, I don't know. It's tough. What, what, what other guilty pleasure? Mighty Ducks 3. Okay. I know it's Fair. not the best movie. Fair. It's not as good as the first two, but I right. love it, and I'll never turn that movie off. I, I'm of the guilty pleasure variety with the initial ones. I don't know if there are many sequels that I go back to revisit that I enjoy as much as the original. But I'll say this. Well, we don't want to tease what oh. the, the angel has fallen. Watch that review and see what we thought. Okay. Yeah. I don't, uh, I feel like this is an obvious answer for me too, but I have to bring it up also because we just had a Final Destination star in the studio yesterday oh. and that really excites me. Um, but that basically every, every single movie in that series except for number four. And it's also because mm. I actually think those movies are very well done. Yes, they're inventive. But I do think because it's, you know, one of those early 2000s slasher type franchises, it gets a little bit of a bad reputation. But mm-hmm. I think it, it deserves a lot more respect than it gets. What about the Screams? Are those the guilty pleasure movies? Uh, scream- the sequels? I don't feel guilty. 
I don't, I mean, I personally don't feel that guilty, but again, it's one of those scenarios where I know Scream 3 isn't as good as Scream 2 and the first Scream, right, but right. I still The Crow love City it. of Angels, that's a guilty place. Oof. <laughs> Yikes. All right, let's get one more question in here. Arcadio is asking, I'm about to go see Ready or Not once I get off work, and I plan on getting a cocktail while there. What's everyone's go-to movie drink, you and Adam included? Was that your note, or did that come from the question? Like, that Adam? Adam, <laughs> what's your go-to movie drink? Uh, uh, vodka Sprite, baby. Vodka Sprite. Okay, I don't vodka know what movie theater serve Vodka Sprite, but you do you. <laughs> um, the girl probably does. What a, I, oh. guess, I guess beer, because like the first thing I think about is going to an Alamo Draft House, and I like their beer selection. Perry keeps a very tight shape for the amount of beer she drinks. Yeah, I'm really, very like I'm always very surprised by this. You're under the bus right now. No, not in a negative way. Totally, you drink a lot of beer, but you, you it, it goes right through you, girl. I respect it. Um, uh, for me, it's uh, what I drank last night before the itch chapter two. I love a double shot of bullet bourbon with a little bit of diet coke, and that carries me through the movie. Coca Cola, old school. Oh, nothing Jesus. like it. You never, like, have fun and relax a little? You never have a, a, a drink relax, before? I, believe me, I, I relax a Oh, yeah, well. All right, all right, right fine. Not We're drinking, not going to get right? into that right now. Dorian, what's your choice? Uh, oh, don't make him choose one. What did you say, beer? Yeah, beer. Beer. <laughs> all right. Ah, you said the right thing, Blue Moon. That's my drink of choice. All right, guys, we're out of here. Uh, Jeff, Roca, thank you. I, do you see the email I sent you today? And I said, hey, John. Like, I called you John, and it freaked me out a little bit. I didn't like it, but, like, it was an official email, so I had to call you John, because otherwise it'd be weird for the other person if I called you Roca. I think it's great that you're starting to respect me and using my first name. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> well... Roca, thanks oh, for being here. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Adam in the booth, thanks so much. You too, Dorian. All right. We are out of here. Before we say goodbye, though, please like and share this episode of Movie Talk and then tune in tomorrow. Another great episode coming your way, 3 p.m. PT live. Napa know how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General States pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. Stay little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.